Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest is one of the greatest Gaelic footballers of our time. I think it's not disputed she's absolutely the greatest ever female footballer and pound for pound, unquestionably, one of the greatest footballers of either gender. It's a pleasure to welcome Mayo's Cora Stunt. And, of course, you're just home, Cora, from where you, Australia, where you've been playing Australian rules, and that has turned into some adventure for you with lots of ups and downs. Yeah, it has, surely. Yeah. Thanks, Des, for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm just back from Australia. I'm just over two weeks back now. So yeah, 14 days of self-isolation done. So um, enjoying the little bit of freedom that there is um, rather than being stuck in the house. But yeah, it's it's, it's nice to be home in these uh, very uncertain times. Yeah, well, tell us about the move to Australia. A huge move and an exciting move and then a dreadful injury. Yeah, I suppose, obviously, um, you know, it's well documented. I moved to Australia to play AFL um, in 2017 um, after we won the All-Ireland with um, my club, Carnacon. So obviously I flew out two days later um, thinking I might just play a season out there. And as it happens, I've just finished my third season. Um, yeah, obviously up, ups and downs, um, you know, probably the injury. Um, nearly just nearly a year ago now, it'll be a year next month um, when I, you know, obviously had that bad break in my leg, four, uh, four breaks altogether. Um, and back to be able to play again this year, you know, I was very lucky to be able to get back to play, you know, I was very unsure if I would um, with the injury. So being able to get back and play it and play the season out and made our first finals campaign. And then obviously it all ended um, pretty quickly with this um, pandemic that we're having in the world. Um, so came home um, just two weeks ago, as I said. So, yeah, um, we'll see what happens after that. I'm giving the body and mind a little bit of a rest now because it's been a... Uh, turbulent 12 months between injury and everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, I read your I read your description of the battle to get back and I think the only people who know you would know you, you, you'd be such a determined battler. But it was against the odds. But, but talk about the regime to get your fitness back. Yeah, so I suppose obviously the first two weeks after surgery were, were probably the quietest. Um, you know, you're in a huge amount of pain and basic stuff like um, to just even get around the apartment that I was living in in Sydney was difficult and um, you know, there was huge swelling. My leg was probably three times the size it should be and, had, you know, a huge amount of bruising. You'd barely recognise your leg. You'd barely recognise your ankle. So for the first two weeks, I didn't really much, you know, had visit from my physio and stuff. And I suppose from week two, I went out to the club and met our coach and our physio and our strength conditioning coach. And we had a meeting and just put in a regime of how we were going to try to get back. And they set me up on the bike that first day after two weeks and I think I cycled for a whole two minutes and then from there was then they really took over and you know they put a program and a plan in place for me and yeah I was probably doing rehab probably six times six times a week probably four hours a day um on most weeks and then when I came home that probably went down a little bit because I went back to work here and obviously I didn't need as much rehab I, I stayed over in um Sydney for the first four months of my rehab came home nine or ten weeks at home and then obviously went back out. So when I was home, I think I was putting in probably eight hours a week on top of work and uh, my full time job, um, which obviously was difficult. But it's more the mental battle rather than the physical battle. Physically, you know, you can get through, but mentally, sometimes harder, darker days where you're, you know, 
you're probably struggling for a little bit of motivation or, you know, you have a pain in your leg or a pain in your knee or a pain in your ankle and you're wondering, you know, am I ever going to get back? Um, that was probably the hardest thing. Simple things like learning how to walk properly again without a limp, how to jog properly without a limp, how to come up and down stairs and hop on one leg. Simple things that frustrated me and took me a while to to do so that was probably the biggest challenge was mentally rather than physically mm, it was very tough did you enjoy the Aussie lifestyle yeah I love it um, it's it's quite different obviously here to Ireland obviously the weather plays a big part in that um, but I just loved the the freedom and um, I just find it a very relaxed lifestyle and you can just go about your business and yeah you just it's 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 very laid back um, and I suppose then you're doing something you love you're going into a club you're training most days you're trying to better yourself as a as an athlete trying to get fitter trying to get stronger um you know you've little targets all the time and you know you sure you couldn't love it and you're you're in sydney um it's probably 30 degrees most days which can be a challenge when you're training in it um but the lifestyle is certainly great and as a, as a sports person that's quite driven to try and make yourself better all the time it's a huge challenge and a challenge that you love even though it's difficult yeah do you mix with irish people or aussies uh, well, I suppose obviously the majority of the girls in the team are Aussies, Bear, myself and Yvonne uh, Bonner um, are the two Irish. But um, I would have, when I when I was over there for the first two year, years, my brother um, was living over there, him and his wife and two boys. They've now three boys. So obviously I, I um, would have mixed with them a lot for the first year I stayed with them when I was over there. Um, and I'd have mixed with their friends a lot and I would have gone down to the GEA club because I'd have known a few people in it. So you'd have mixed with Irish on that side. I suppose last year, my, this year, my brother moved home. So probably more of an Aussie mix this year rather than an Irish mix. But for the first uh, two years, yeah, you'd certainly miss or mix with the Irish. And, you know, I've took a few couple of training sessions for a club over there as well that I know one of the guys um, that's a coach there. So, yeah, you'd see them around, um, certainly. But, yeah, probably more mixed with the Aussies this year out of any year. Great. It's all very different to when you're growing up in, in Carnacon. And I suppose like a lot of football mad girls your age, you began playing with the boys teams. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. So my, you know, career with football started when I was about seven in our in our local primary school. And it was just lucky that I had a very uh, good principal that was interested in, in sports and he made us play a range of sports. Um, Arthur Sullivan was his name. You know, he'd have us out playing basketball, soccer, rounders, hurling, um, indoor soccer, badminton, anything that you could play. And obviously he soon recognised that, you know, I loved it and I had quite a good talent. So anytime the boys were playing any competition, he'd bring me along and he really encouraged me to to get involved. And from that, I, I got involved with the Ballantubber boys um, team, um, our under 10 team, playing with the likes of Alan Dillon. And played with them up to, I think I played one game under 16, but majority up to under 14. Um, and in the meantime, um, Carnacon underage was set up. Our first um, flight into ladies football would have been uh, community games in Mosney um, when I was probably 11 years of age. Went to Mosney and from there, um, that's where I suppose the success of Carnacon really shone. We'd, you know, we got to Mosney, we lost the All-Ireland final by a point and... From there, yeah, we've won fail underage um, competitions the following year, I think the following two years. And yeah, that's really where the success came from. But yeah, certainly I um, enjoy playing with the boys. And I think that's where the foundations of being a good footballer probably comes from. Because, you know, obviously they do everything a little bit faster and quicker than than the women's game. And I suppose the, the grounding that you got at that age playing with the boys kind of made you tough and probably made you mentally strong as well. Yeah. How big a blow was it losing a community games final by a point? 
<laughs> I, yeah, that's it's, it's mad when you're 11 years age, yeah. it's a long time ago, I can still remember it clearly. Um, and I remember actually when I was writing my book um, a few years ago, I think that's what the book starts off about, how I can still remember us losing by a point to uh, Beaufort from Kerry. Um, and me being quite cross at um, <laughs> our coach for making a bad decision on the line that day. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I can certainly remember it. I'll never forget it, that's for sure. But um, matches like that and, and competitions like that were really where you started being quite competitive and wanting to do well and wanting to succeed. And you've kind of seen what it takes to get to the top. So, yeah, they were, they were brilliant days back then. And, you know, um, that's why, you know, when you see kids now playing the community games in, you know, at loan, we were lucky it was in Mosney that time. It was like a holiday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's brilliant to see them involved in, in, in clubs and, and um, parishes going off and, and representing the kids representing their parishes. It was brilliant. Now, your first song choice, Cora, reminds you of your childhood and, and it is tinged with sadness. Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, obviously, again, it's probably well documented growing up. Um, my mother kind of had a battle with cancer for a number of years when I went into first year in school. She was diagnosed with breast cancer and, and, and she got progressively worse. Um, and then when I was um, in TY in, in Ballinrobe Community School, unfortunately, she died. Um, so, yeah, the first song is uh, Char Charlie Lansbury, Colour of the Wind, and that was her favourite song. Um, and would always have been playing in the house and obviously then um, on her funeral day it was played at her mass as well. So, yeah, it's a very old song, but one when you hear um, not that very often on the radio, but um, I would put it on the phone every now and again just to, um, you know, when you're having maybe a down day and you wanted someone to give you a bit of spring in your step, you'd listen to it. So, yeah, that's my first song choice. What's your strongest memory of your mother? Uh, I suppose, um, you know, when we talk to your mother, my mother's, I'd be probably, you know, going, when you look at it, I'm probably very similar to her. My mother was probably the, the hard nut in the family and my father's the, the kind of soft character. So my mother was very, you know, regimental and everything. Everyone had to work hard to, to get where you wanted. Um, and, you know, you had to keep your room tidy and you had to do your jobs at home. And, you know, she pushed us quite hard, but in, in, in a very loving way. So I suppose... My memory was of my mom is that, um, you know, you have to do everything right. And, you know, people, my, my friends, the close friends that know me, I know I'm a bit of a clean freak and, and probably have a little bit of OCD where I have to have everything in, in perfect order. And I think that comes from her because that's all I remember at home. She was, you know, she was a housewife. And then in her, when we started to go into secondary school, she started to work. So she was very hard working and very determined type of person. And even in her cancer battle, um, you know, she fought right to the end. She probably should have, you know, died maybe a year previous to that, that she was that sick. But she, you know, she fought right to the end. And I suppose that's determination and maybe a little bit of stubbornness that I probably have myself um, certainly came from her. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Well, let's talk. I mean, everybody who follows sport knows about all your success, Cora. But for non-sporting listeners, you had extraordinary success uh, as a footballer with Mayo. And you, your first time playing for the county, you were very young. Yeah, I suppose um, my success with Mayo probably did start very young. Um, I probably ended up being a household name a lot younger than I really wanted or was probably able for. Um, so, yeah, I suppose at 13, probably 13 and a half, 13 three quarters, um, I was asked into the Mayo um, team for a trial. Isha Hannan was our coach at the time and that was on the back of us winning... Um, in Ballinrobe Community School, we'd won the junior and senior All-Ireland that, that year and I was playing on both teams and I think it was on the back of that. And 
from there, yeah, um, my first league match against Monaghan, I was, yeah, I think 13 and probably 10 or probably 10 months at the time. And um, yeah, from there went on. It ended up being a lot longer than I expected and ended up playing, I think, you know, 24 years at Mayo, which is, is quite a quite a long time. And, you know, I suppose the su success really came in the early days for us, um, you know, winning our first All-Ireland when I was 17. Um, and, you know, kind of between 17, 21, 22, we had m most of our success um, under our manager, Finn Barik. And so, you know, when you think back at them times, they were great times. And we were very, very young when we had all that success. And you probably didn't take it all in until you kind of look back at it now and realise that, you know, we were very, very lucky that we had that much success. Yeah. At a time when, well, it continued for the next 25 years, the, the men's team were going close but couldn't get over the line and, and you were having that success. Yeah, I suppose, and that that as growing up, you know, um, as a youngster, that stage, you know, we I was watching Mayo and remember them clearly in in ninety six and ninety seven, um, losing all Ireland's and in the front lawn trying to be John Casey and, and many more Kira McDonald and you know, um, I suppose it came cr pretty quickly for us. Um, you know, we had been very close in ninety six to get into the All Ireland final. We lost a semi final after extra time, um, to Leash. By a point, and I remember that week alone. Um, I played an under sixteen All Ireland final the day before we played the senior All Ireland f semi final, and we played a minor All Ireland final the week after, and losing losing the three, oh, wow. three matches. Um, so um, t and then you know three years later, I think obviously it was when Fimber came in and Jonathan Mullen and John Mullen came in. Um, you know we got we got over the line in the semi final against a very good me me team and obviously went into the final in 99 um against Watford as massive underdogs and obviously again it's well documented um the week before the final um me um, breaking my collarbone and obviously not being able to participate in the final which was obviously a heartbreak for me and um that was just you know a, a year after I had lost my mother as well so I'd been going through you know quite a, a difficult time so you know, when people look back and, and wonder how, you you know, you can get over injuries like I did last year, um, I suppose that mental toughness came from that time in my life. Mm. Your your second song it kind of reflects those times and, and, the, and the success that Mayo team had. Yeah, I suppose the, the song, the second song it certainly does. Yeah, it was uh, Shania Twain, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. And I certainly remember in 99, um, Bar Simply the Best, um, <laughs> this being probably the most overplayed song um, you know, in our celebrations, certainly for the first All Ireland, everywhere we went or every uh, pub or place we stopped off at, um, for for over the next few months, that song was certainly played. It was played on the team bus in the team hotel. It was played everywhere, um, and yeah, certainly that and simply the best were the two most um, overplayed songs yeah. <laughs> songs in '99. Yeah, and it's you know certainly a song that you when you hear it played in the radio now, um, it's what you think of. You think of that '99 um, All Ireland winning team. The, the the homecoming then, because uh, ladies football has grown and grown each decade to, to a huge level. What was the ho what do you remember most about going home? Oh, the homecoming was massive. Um, I remember um, on the way down we came in, um, obviously from the Galway side and come over the bridge in Shrule, so the Mayo Galway border. And I remember coming to Shrule and the place being thronged with people. Um, and I remember we travelled um, that whole night and I remember getting into, we travelled to Shrule and into Ballinrope and Clamaris and a number of other towns. But I remember we, we arrived in Ballyhonas at half two in, in the, the morning. morning in the square in Ballyhonas. <laughs> and there must have been well over a couple of thousand people still in Ballyhonas at half two in the morning. Um, 
the scenes that we had that year, obviously, as you said, because the men had been so close in 96 and 97, mm. the support we had um, for women's football and, and the homecomings, them, them times were were absolutely huge. And I remember that that year, that whole week after the All-Ireland in 99, we went around to every little town, village, and we celebrated for the whole week from that Monday to, right through to the to the Friday Um we celebrated. Some of us had to stop the celebrations on the Friday night because we had a county final on the mm. Sunday. So um, that was that was um, the important thing at the time. But I remember, yeah, the, there was the throngs of people, the throngs of Mayo people being out. And I remember, yeah, it was it was certainly memories that you live with you forever. And whenever you meet girls from that team, um, that's you know things that you you certainly talk about the the homecoming and the nights out and, and the people that you met along the way. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. I suppose while you were still in your teens, you were known by everybody in the game and, and that meant you were the star player. Were you a marked player? Did you like get special attention in games, Cora? Yeah, obviously, yeah. You, 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 I probably still do, which is <laughs> which is not really right at my age now. But um, yeah, certainly in club games, I still probably get a little bit of attention. But yeah, back then you did, um, you know, you'd probably... You just got so, so used to being double marked by um you know majority of oppositions whether it was with for Mayo or was it for Carney Cohn, um but you know our management team normally um dealt with it very well and you know we'd other girls other great forwards in our team that'd step up or you know help you out so yeah it just becomes a part of the game you get very used to it um you know probably being a, a household name at times you know I, I certainly would have struggled with it um in my early days I remember again going back to my book I remember talking about in my book um being in, in at functions and rooms with the likes of Morris Fitzgerald and, and people that I would have idolized growing up and you know not knowing what I'd say to them at you know 21 or 22 years of age um so yeah I I, I probably took a while for me to get used to it both on and off the field but um you know, you kind of have to look at it now as a compliment that even even nowadays, if you're being double marked, um, I certainly look at it as a compliment. Mm. But yeah, we, I've I've played on teams where we've had great players that probably didn't get the recognition um, that they deserve just because I was in the team. Um, I, and I know that's certainly the case in Carnacone. We've had super footballers and we still do. Um, they probably don't get as much of the headlines because, as I always said, the forwards always grab the headlines and majority of the other t- other members of the team don't. But, yeah, um, you know, in with both Mayo and Carnacone, it was always a team game to me. And um, you just wanted to see everyone uh, achieve and do well. And that was from, you know, our goalie right through to whoever was number 30 on the team. And you were the first footballer used in, in, in ads, in, in advertisements, weren't you? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Again, that was, you know, quite early in my career. It was on the back of um, all of our, our success with Mayo. Yeah, so I suppose the two big things were Luke said sport was the biggest ad. And I, again, I remember going to them um, shoots to do the ads and sit standing beside Ron O'Gara and Peter Stringer and Damien Duff and just being absolutely in awe because, again, I'm a huge sports fan. I love soccer and I love rugby. Um, and just to be in their company or to be even recognised in their company, um, even now to think about it is huge. And I always remember coming from a shoot in Dublin and I remember just leaving the shoot. We had two days done and um, as we were walking away, Ron O'Gara handed me a pair of his uh, football boots with his name on them and signed them. And still to this day, I have them in uh, my bedroom, you know, because yeah. I idolised him and looked up to him as, a, you know, it's a huge role model of what he'd done um, for rugby and what he'd done for both Munster and Ireland. Well, you, you also played soccer and rugby, well, dipped into them really because you were so committed with Gaelic football, but you won a women's FAI Cup in soccer. 
Yeah, so yeah, I was lucky enough that I yeah won in 2006, won the um, Senior Cup with Mayo. We played UCD in the final. Um, yeah, I just dabbled in soccer, really. Um, sometimes you, you might, um, if you had time in the off-season to play a little bit or mix mix both. But I always found it hard if you want to be fully committed to one, to do the other. Um, yeah, so I was lucky enough and I won um, a couple of intermediate cups with um, Ballyglass, our local soccer team here as well. And yeah, then I decided to dabble in rugby for a while, which the uh, majority of people weren't too happy, especially my club coaches. Again, it's a sports person. You like to challenge yourself. Um but yeah, I enjoyed my time playing that and obviously playing rugby, soccer and Gaelic football has helped me immensely when I switched over to AFL. In the rugby, uh, you had a very high scoring beginning, I'm told. Yeah, that was for um, our local club, Castle Bear. Um, so yeah, I was playing, I normally used to play inside centre. Um, yeah, so I used to just get the ball, Des, and just run and hopefully pray that I wasn't going to be tackled or knocked down. So I was just lucky enough that I'm quick enough. And uh, yeah, I think on my debut, I scored seven tries, but that's because all I did was I was trying to run away from the tackles and not get knocked down. So I don't know if there was too much skill involved. It was just get the ball and run as quick as I could. In Australia, you have this contract as an Australian. Do you work in Australia part-time or, or how does that work? Yeah, so... Um, with our, the way it works for the Irish girls that are over there, majority of us are just on sports visas or the way we get into the countries on a, on a different visa that most Irish get into. So it's a sports a sporting visa. So with that, you're just allowed to um, be employed by your football club. So obviously I'm only allowed to be employed by the Giants. Um, so the Giants will give you some extra work within the club if you want to learn a, learn a number of different things. So... Um, you know, I used to go in and just watch a lot of the boys' coaching sessions, sit in a lot of meetings, um, just to to develop skills for yourself for coaching and, and, and uh, certain things like stats and, and learning uh, programs like sports codes where obviously they video every training session, they video every match and that you can learn how to code all different things for the matches and from training sessions. So, yeah, I've I done a little bit of working with the club um, that on your off days or your mornings that you are in training. Um, but our visa just allows us to just to work for the Giants and nobody else. So we can't work in in any other um, area in our industry in Australia just with the with the football club. And looking ahead, could you would you like to stay in Australia? Uh, yeah, I, I love Australia. It's yeah, you know, the probably the, the only thing it's probably a little bit too far from home. You know, the, if things happen, you know, unfortunately, when I've been over there. You know, I've had to come back for our football manager's funeral and, you know, my best friend lost both her mom and dad in my time over there. So it's very hard in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I certainly, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't live there forever, but I wouldn't rule it out, you know, staying there for a year or two or, you know, um, certainly for that length of time. But I could never see myself fully settling over there. You know, there would always be the draw to to be home. And I suppose, obviously, you know, my dad isn't getting any younger now and, and you kind of like to be around. Uh, my nieces and nephews are growing, growing up. So I like the arrangement where I'm probably there for six or seven months of the year and I get to go ho- come home for, for a length of time. And obviously... Um, there's a big draw playing for my club, Carnacon. You know, I, I feel I certainly couldn't let them down. I'd have to come back and play. That was one thing when I got injured last year that I certainly felt a little bit guilty that I couldn't represent 
them or help them for the period that I was out. Um, so, th- th- you know, it's it's a probably a little bit of a battle with your mind whether you'd stay or not. But, um, yeah, you know, it's not to say I would certainly like to go out there, whether I'll play again, who knows. But, yeah, I certainly like the coaching element out there. Um, and I love, you know, I love watching AFL and being involved in it. Your father must have got great pleasure out of all your success, did he? Yeah, um, yeah, he certainly does. But he's a very quiet man. He, you know, he wouldn't be one to be telling you that you're doing very well um, all the time. But yeah, you know, he would, you know, when he goes to the local pub or the local shop or he, you know, he loves reading the paper. Yeah, he he obviously goes and and talks about me. We wouldn't be the type that he'd be telling me how great I am. Um, But um, certainly, yeah, he does. He gets massive, you know, people when people say, oh, that's, you know, obviously you're Cora's dad. Then, yeah, he gets massive um, kick out of it. And I suppose even being on the Late Late Show there um, 18 or 19 months ago, things like that, you know, are huge for him. And and to give him that enjoyment and excitement and, you know, all my family, while, you know, a lot of them don't play sport, they get huge enjoyment out of coming and watching it. And even, you know, when I'm playing in Australia, they're up up at two or three or four or five in the morning watching the games and you know it's great to see even now my niece and nephews they're grown up you know are huge fans and want to be involved in sport and want to play and you know they know they know more about AFL than I do at the moment <laughs> Great but listen your final musical choice then Cora Staunton Yeah so I, I suppose I went for one of my favourite bands which is uh, Coldplay um, I love all their music um, you know I uh, have for a long time and you know there's a range of songs but I went for uh, Sky Full of Stars which would be um, one of my uh, pump up tunes when I go uh, just before for match on the on the bus to match there in the car um, it's yeah it's one of my favourite uh, Coldplay songs at the moment Alright well it's a lovely way to play out and it's been lovely talking to you Cora Stones and Thanks a million for joining us on the Island Discs and we'll play out with Coldplay and Sky Full of Stars. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.